0: Three simple steps to a fairy tale summer, and I would love for you to join me. Save your free seat at the workshop by texting the word fairy tale, all one word, to the number 33777. See you there. You're listening to the Read Aloud Revival Podcast. This is the podcast that inspires you to build your family culture around books. Hello, hello, Sarah McKenzie here. This is episode 39 of the Read Aloud Revival. So glad you're here. Today we're going to talk about something we get asked about a lot at the Read Aloud Revival, reading aloud with special needs kids. So many of you have special needs children or struggling students and want some help living out this read-aloud lifestyle with them. So I asked Cheryl Swope, the author of Simply Classical, A Beautiful Education for Every Child, to come onto the show and chat with me about just that. Now, most of you know I'm not super techie. (laughs) Usually that's not a problem because, you know, I have a team that helps me and we kind of clean things up when I make a mess. But unfortunately sometimes I make blunders. This interview ended up being kind of a blunder in two ways. The first time we tried to record it, I had to reschedule because I had a terrible case of laryngitis and literally couldn't speak. Cheryl was so gracious and rescheduled with me. And then when we actually recorded the interview, I had forgotten to test that my podcasting mic was hooked up. So the entire interview was recorded with my computer mic. All that means for you is that it's just not as smooth of a listening experience as you're used to here on the Read Aloud Revival. We have a very high bar for quality. And unfortunately, this interview just doesn't quite meet my hopes for the smoothness of your listening experience. But the interview was too good not to share. So I'm publishing it anyway, knowing that the content of this episode is so good, it will trump the mechanical sound of the computer mic. If you have not done it yet, Go to readaloudrevival.com and sign up for the email updates there. I'll send you a note every time there's a brand new podcast available, as well as lots of other stuff. We have so many other good things happening around the Read Aloud Revival that don't always make it into the podcasts. And so, if you want to know everything that's going on in this community, we have well over 22,000 regular listeners. If you want to be a part of that, make sure that you sign up so that you know when things are happening. Just go to readaloudrevival.com and you'll see a place for you to pop your email into the page. It's simple as that. Okay, let's find out what Cheryl Swope has to say to us today about reading aloud with special needs and struggling students.
1: Cheryl Swope is the author of
0: two books. The wonderful book, Simply Classical, a beautiful education for any child, which helps parents and teachers implement a classical curriculum with special needs children
1: and struggling students. And her newest book is Eternal Treasures, Teaching Your Child at Home, which helps those who want to pair a strong academic foundation with Christian catechesis in the
0: Lutheran tradition. Today, I'm excited to talk to Cheryl because her book, Simply Classical, represents a merging of Cheryl's education and life experience. She has both
1: bachelor's and master's degrees in special education, as well as a ton of personal wisdom and insight because she and her husband homeschooled their adopted special needs twins who are now adults. Cheryl has worked with special needs children, youth, and adults for more than 30 years, holds a lifetime K-12 teaching certification in the areas of learning disabilities and behavior disorders. Passionate about sharing her love of history, music, literature, and Latin, She believes strongly that all children should be able to benefit from a Christian
0: classical education, and today she's here to talk to us about how Reading Aloud plays a big part in all of that. Cheryl, I've
1: been so excited to talk to you here, so welcome to the Read Aloud Revival. Thank you, Sarah. Well, why don't we start by having you give us just a quick overview of your family life and tell us a little bit about your family. Our family began almost 25 years ago when my husband and I married we just celebrated our 25th wedding anniversary oh congratulations thank you and at that time we both wanted children but years passed without children much prayer ensued i felt very very tied to hannah in the scriptures just praying that if god would eventually give us children that i would want to raise them in the christian faith and we just spent several years hoping and praying that children would come to us. None did biologically. But five years into our marriage, we received a phone call that would change our lives. It was our social worker, who our adoption social worker, who had met another social worker at a conference, and she said that she had twins, a boy and a girl. And this other worker was advocating for these children to be placed in kind of an extra special home because... The children both had special needs, and they were both really just lovely children. And this worker for the children didn't want to split them up, of course, because they were twins, and also just wanted someone who would understand their special needs. When my husband is an attorney, I have, as you said, a master's in special ed, and we got this phone call saying, would you be interested in one-year-old? They're twins, a boy and a girl. They have some delays, but they need a home." Pretty much right away. This was on a Tuesday. They said you could you'll need to meet them and then you can pick them up on Sunday and take them home. Oh wow. And I was so (laughs) excited. (laughs) Oh my goodness. So excited. I said, Of course we're interested. So that's how our family began. So those little twin babies came to us at one. Over the years, their disabilities, their challenges became very clear, They were initially, yes, developmentally delayed, but then difficulties with language, autism for both of them became evident. They had coordination difficulties, developmental coordination disorder, probably as a result of difficulties during the pregnancy. Mm. Their biological mother had schizophrenia and was not able to care for them, Mm. although she was very sweet and loved them dearly. So we knew also that that would be a risk. The schizophrenia, right? And sure enough, over time, that developed too. So these children have learning disabilities, attention difficulties, sensory issues, language issues, and then they both did develop schizophrenia over time. My daughter early is with a rare childhood onset schizophrenia, and my son later on with a little bit more typical course, but his involves bipolar also. So. Now these children are almost 21, and we homeschooled them from the very beginning all the way through their high school graduation. And now we're embarking on something that we're calling post-schooling, because neither can attend college, but they both still love to learn. Mm. So tell me first, first tell me, how did you come to the decision to homeschool? Because I know that's a a decision a lot of parents, especially special needs kind of struggle with, whether, yes, I'm just curious to know how that came about. I wanted to homeschool from the very beginning. Even before I had children, really? we would be at, yes, we would be at garage sales and I would pick up the like junior classics set of books. We didn't have children, but I just thought that it would just be so wonderful. I'm kind of a home anyway and it just appealed to me so much. And we had friends who were homeschooling. So I just thought this would just be a wonderful thing to do if, if we were able to and if we ever had children. So I wanted to do that from the beginning, but then in, Like you said, when when our children evidence special needs, even though I have a background in special ed, I was concerned that I would be doing them a disservice if I homeschooled them, that somehow we would not be meeting their needs. So I really did explore the available options, the early childhood programs. And however, there was this conflict for me because I had also been researching Method of education at that time. So for me, all of this kind of came together at a time when I was understanding that the progressive, so called, methods that I had been taught and experienced failure in teaching myself, Mm -hmm. those could be replaced with something that I had never been taught in school. And that was what we now call a more classical education so all of this was sort of coalescing in my mind at the same time that the children came to us when i explored the other options they were just glaringly progressive to me and i thought maybe we can do better at home then when i realized too that we could obtain services all the services that i knew that they needed physical therapy occupational therapy speech therapy for articulation, language therapy for pragmatics. We could obtain all of that privately, and we did so through our children's hospital. And that included their medical care. So neurology, cardiology, everything that they needed, we could obtain privately and yet do our academics at home. So when I realized that we could do all of that, that's how we decided to homeschool them. I thought that we would only homeschool for early childhood. Those years I just love, and that we would just get them ready for kindergarten. But my son, especially, his emotional needs, I guess, became more evident. And we realized that they really needed the nurturing of homeschooling in addition to that one on one with academics and the classical approach and the integration of their therapies into that. Right, right. So that's That's right. So that sounds very holistic. Like it was meeting all of these needs of these children, like this the whole child instead of sort of segmenting, you know, their needs by specialists or something. You were meeting specialists, but it just seems like because you were the, the one kind of coordinating all of it was able to be done in a really holistic way. That's what it sounds like to me. Right. And that's the advantage that homeschooling moms have, that they don't realize that they have, but they have the finger on the pulse of that child's, abilities in every area so they can integrate all of the things that the speech therapist is telling them. They can integrate that right into their homeschooling. And that's so powerful for our children. Okay. Well, when you and I are speaking at homeschool conventions, all over the country. I look over at your table and you always have this line of people wanting to talk to you. (laughs) There's just this really big need for your book, Simply Classical, and parents of special needs kids who are homeschooling to get some support from someone who's been there and done that. So tell us a little bit more about how Simply Classical came about. Because at the time you wrote it, there weren't really a lot of resources available for parents of kids with special needs who wanted to provide their children with a classical education, right? You are right. And before I answer that question, I do want to say that we have support 24-7 right now because those long lines at conventions are so, they're so fleeting. We can only see so many people. So our online support is a discussion forum for parents of children with special needs, and it's just called simplyclassical.com. So at simplyclassical.com, you can sign in and register, or you can post questions, you can just read, you can visit whenever you have a problem, or if you just want to go there and know that there are so many other moms in the trenches doing the very same things that you were doing. So that's, I just want to mention that because that well, is- I'm so glad you, you did. And me. we'll make sure we link to that in the show notes too. So if you're listening to this podcast- While you're folding laundry or in the car or walking the dog or the baby, (laughs) don't worry, just visit the show notes to this episode, which I'll give you at the end of the episode, and uh, you'll be able to find that really easily. But it's also just simplyclassical.com. Is that right, Cheryl? Yes, simplyclassical.com. That's our discussion forum for ongoing support beyond conferences and beyond the book, even. Okay, so how did the book come about? That's your question? Yeah. Okay. The book itself came about as I began to to teach my children, and I saw the efficacy of a classical education for children with special needs. And I really had not experienced this in any conventions that I had gone to, or even searches on Google. I would search classical education, special needs. Well, nothing came up except this one obscure brochure, the University of Colorado in Boulder. There was this one woman who was teaching LD students Students with learning disabilities in her college courses, she was teaching them Latin and seeing that there were some kind of marvelous results happening through her teaching of Latin. But that was the only thing that pulled up at the time. Now, if you search, oh my goodness, there's so much more. yeah, <laughs> but but at that time that there really wasn't anything. So I was sort of uncertain about what I was embarking on, especially because there were naysayers that we encountered. But then it started being, real differences in my children some were quantifiable through standardized testing I had a background in psychometry and I was really adamant about having the children tested by professionals not not just myself in my own informal testing but I wanted to see standardized results and so at that same children's hospital they tested the children often so we saw quantifiable results which I'll mention in a moment and then also sort of, What I call immeasurable results in terms of changes in contentment and courage, kind of virtues that just can't be taught through, as you said, kind of a segmented character education. The whole approach to classical education is, as you said, holistic in the sense that it addresses the whole child. And this is true for our special needs children as well. So I started seeing those sorts of impacts especially on my son and it made me think that we needed to to share this with other people the quantifiable result that really got my attention the most was with my daughter she started at age 3 with receptive language score that means the language that she could understand she started with a 6th percentile score at age 3 meaning that very few children would have scored More poorly than she did on the amount of language that she understood, her vocabulary. That was at age three. Well, then we were teaching Latin roots, Greek roots, and we began formal Latin studies. By fifth grade, she tested on the completely other end of the bell curve. She scored a standard score of 130. 100 is average. 130 placed her in the gifted range in vocabulary. Wow. <laughs> so this got my attention and it made me think at that time right around when when they were 11 that this really needed to be told beyond our little house. Also, I had this is really important to understand and I explained this in simply classical, but I had really failed as a teacher teaching progressive method. Things like just spell it any way you want to spell it and oh just guess at the word I had failed in those methods so I knew that this was not because of me but this is because of the efficacy of classical education so as this was coming to my attention that this was really something powerful that we were doing we continued and about age 16 my daughter began writing poetry so this child who had this really marked semantic pragmatic language disorder, began writing her own beautiful, poignant poetry. And when she was about 16, she said to me, Mom, I want my story to help other children like me. Wow. Well, I knew that she couldn't give that story a voice. So my husband got his (laughs) best Darth Vader imitation on He said to me, it is your destiny. So I've always loved to write, and I thought, okay, I, I really do need to write this all down. And I thought, Sarah, that when I wrote the book, that that would tell the story, we would close the book, and I would go on to oh, baking and- Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> weren't you surprised? <laughs> <laughs> yes. So it turned out that she, she was right, that her story could help other children. And Memorial Press embraced the book. From the beginning, and I just love Cheryl Lowe, who is the head of Memorial Press, and I've admired her for years. We taught Latin from Latina Christiana, her Latin program, yeah, Mm -hmm. in our our own homeschool. So not only do they embrace the book and publish it, but the curriculum director said, could we do a curriculum for children just with special needs? I said, I think we could. And we we got together, we spent several days together in Louisville at their office, and we kind of brainstormed and that's how then the simply classical curriculum was born. Well I have to tell and our that, listeners because that curriculum literally at these conferences, these women just flock to this curriculum and they'll come back over to where I'm at and talk about talk to me about how your curriculum, the things you're teaching them about Teaching their own special needs children is just revolutionizing their family life or changing their homeschool. And so I had to, of course, I had to wander over and meet you, of course, and uh, peek at your curriculum. And I was so excited because these baskets crammed full of wonderful, like the best literature, the best books, the best picture books, the best, oh my goodness, so good. So I was so excited. I thought, I have got to take a closer look at this. This looks amazing. It is truly unique. And being able to To wrap it all in the Christian faith, that has been such a wonderful freedom. I'm so grateful to Memorial Press for allowing me to do that. So we do have, yes, it is packed with beautiful read-alouds, and that includes the timeless Bible stories for comfort and hope. What part does reading aloud well I guess what part did reading aloud play in your homeschool? I know you've said before that you read most literature to your kids out loud. So, talk to me a little bit about the benefits of that, especially as it pertains to your special needs children. We started very young. In fact, we have this picture of my son when he was just a little boy. I think it was the first day and my husband and I were so exhausted that first day when they came to us because Family swarmed around with with the huge video cameras, and in that day they were there. <laughs> <It was> enormous. <laughs> yeah. And, and um, oh, it was just an exhausting, exhilarating day. And, but that night, my husband had this little board book, and he he's reading to our son that very first night. And we had turned our home library into their nursery, so books were already something that my husband and I. Loved ourselves thanks to a lot of good teachers we had. But from the very beginning, we read to them. So in the early years, those were things like Tasha Tudor Mm -hmm. and Margaret Wise Brown, Robert McCloskey, the Little Bear book. We tried to focus on truth, goodness, and beauty in content and illustration when we purchased our books. And like so many homeschooling parents, that just continued in a very natural, organic way through our homeschooling, just continuing with more advanced stories, but with that same theme of trying to select the best. Partly what we were doing at the time and without knowing it is that we were cultivating a sense of the right use of leisure and a good use of leisure. The books for us later became sort of in-home tutors. when. I grew older and became too tired to read aloud to them mm-hmm. so much. Like I did when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Now they're reading on their own. And it's so gratifying. The, the whole process, I kind of skipped a whole few years in there. But jumping forward, I just think last night my my son was telling me, I want to read the Epic of Gilgamesh next, but I can't decide if I should start that or the Aeneid. Because <laughs> I read Homer and the Aeneid. <laughs> oh, that's too funny. Oh my goodness. We never, never, never would have guessed that that was how this would all pan out, but we just, we really limited videos. I cannot emphasize that enough that limit those screens. I mean, eliminate if you can, but definitely limit the screen because then books become the focus for leisure and also for academics, but they become a real treat. When the screens are minimized. But but we were just talking last night, my husband and I, about the read aloud when I was thinking about talking with you. We remember Little Bridges as kind of the big turning point for us as a family. I think it was because it was the first time my husband and I cried while we were reading. (laughs) Those stories were so wonderful. We must have read six of those together as a family. Wow. And he then, my husband is never one to follow lesson plan or teach a subject. Some dads do, and that's great. My husband's just not wired that way. Yeah. But kind of from that point on, he took over reading aloud. He loved to read aloud to the kids. And that that was a, a really big part of our homeschooling because my husband then began reading things far above their own reading levels and really above their understanding in many cases. But he would read Dickens and Shakespeare. He read the whole Tolkien, Fellowship of the Rings trilogy out loud to them. And all of these things, I believe, helped to lift them above the very real and painful challenges that they faced in their daily lives and that we faced with them. So, The language was so elevating that we all just kind of became entranced with those read-alouds. They played an enormous role, really an incalculable role in our homeschooling. So like so many children with special needs, writing and doing arithmetic, those things are very, very hard to do. And they take a lot of effort on our children's part and a lot of effort on our part to teach them. But reading aloud was something that could be done in a more relaxed, comfortable, and I guess just a more familial kind of a setting. Yeah, so it ends up being kind of a bright spot or a relaxing point or kind of time to exhale maybe during your day. Yes, right. And it brings all of us into a place with a beautiful language and timeless truth and the wisdom that always comes from good literature. And also, I found, gave my children a connection to the larger world that might have otherwise been
0: unattainable. We'll get back to the show in just a minute. At the beginning of today's episode, I mentioned that what I propose for this summer is a relaxed and simple plan that offers just enough structure to keep your days from melting into chaos and just enough fun to keep your kids asking for more. And what summer wouldn't be much, much better with a whole bunch of fairy tales? Well, I'm teaching a free workshop called Three Simple Steps to a Fairy Tale Summer, and here's what we're going to talk about. First, how reading fairy tales can make your summer easier. Yes, easier. We want to take things off your plate this summer, not put more on, right? (laughs) Fairy tales can make your summer easier and more fun. I'm also going to share the fairy tales I recommend for every age and the tippy-top thing you can do to make sure your kids make delightful memories this summer. It is way less work and way less pressure than you think. The free workshop is happening live online on May 7th, 2024, and you can save your free seat by texting the word FAIRYTALE, all one word, to the number 33777. And yes, there's a replay, so make sure you register even if you can't join us live on May 7th. Again, text the word "fairy tale" all one word, to the number 33777.
1: Okay, so tell me about choosing books then for to read aloud with your kids. I know a lot of book lists are based on age, you know, for kids who are eight to twelve or whatever. Do you find those lists? Would you choose from the same selections you'd have chosen if they were not special needs children, or did you choose books differently? For the most part, we chose them similarly. I think the only difference is that they kind of peak at an age between maybe fourth to eighth grade in their own reading. So what I had to do, for this wasn't just for read-aloud, but for their own reading, I had to really find a large expanse of books at that fourth to eighth grade level where many children would go on to night to the twelfth or beyond. Even though my son is reading and my daughter, they're both reading things. That are more advanced than I read when I was their age. In fact, they've read books that I have never read. I've never read The Epic of Gilgamesh. know, yet. <laughs> Neither have I. My son has started it. <laughs> but I love that. I just love that. And he'll often say, Mom, you have to read this book. And, and so I will start it, but I read so much more slowly than he does. Mm-hmm. So even though they can read things at that level, For schooling purposes, in terms of comprehension and literary analysis, things like that, we had to keep things at that fourth to eighth grade level a lot. Okay. So in Simply Classical, we included book lists, and we spent an enormous amount of time on trying to find good books at that level, because that is the level where a lot of our children kind of hit a ceiling. And we don't want them to stop reading, so they need to have many good books. So in in the book simply classical, we include book lists that start with infancy and keep going. And in a sense, I like to say that it's sequential but ungraded. Mm-hmm. So whenever you can move forward, just do. And then if you need a lot of books, both of my kids hand picked books. Michelle picked books for girls and Michael for boys, and those lists are in Simply Classical, too. One of the things I know you've mentioned is that giving your kids a classical education that was so rich in literature really gave your kids a stronger vocabulary as well as a love for learning. So
0: can you talk to us a little more about
1: that? Yes. That, I think, was was evidenced in that example that I gave with her, her test scores yes. for vocabulary, but also their ability to communicate with adults was enhanced by the vocabulary that they found in literature. For many children with special needs, peer relationships are very difficult and sometimes heartbreakingly difficult in terms of the rejection that they face from peers. This is especially true with Children on the autism spectrum have difficulties with understanding the nonverbal social cues that other children just learn naturally. Right. But the interesting thing is that they often connect well with adults. And this vocabulary really assists that because adults appreciate children who, one, will speak to them, but two, who speak eloquently to them. They appreciate a good conversation. I think books have fostered that so that when my children graduated from high school, we had so many people here in their 70s. (laughs) But it was a really interesting graduation party. The house was filled with maybe 50 or 60 people. And we didn't realize it at the time, but we thought, our children have so many friends. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> who are retired. <laughs> it was like a house full of grandparents. Oh, that's hilarious. But there's Daisy from the hospital. They, they love talking to Daisy. I mean, that's one of her, their friends. And I won't say names because they call them Mr. and Mrs. But it's just all these people from neighbors. They say, oh, we have to invite you know, Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so. We have to invite them. And I'm thinking, to your graduation party, really? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Okay. Oh, I love it. So, <laughs> I think that that has really helped them. And now their vocation is they both volunteer at a nursing home and they love the conversations that they have with some of these older adults who enjoy telling them about the old days. And they're familiar with that the time periods of those people's lives because they've read about them so they can intelligently ask questions. And they're they're sincerely interested in the answers. Both of them now enjoy going to the nursing home. That's what what they do in part. They do a lot of things, but they do that once a week. And I think that has helped them quite a bit. Okay, let's chat a little bit about the logistics, just the logistics of reading aloud with a special needs child. And your experience is both a teacher and a mother. Do you see a difference in maybe as strategies or things that would be helpful for parents of special needs children to know about reading aloud with a child. For example, my kids, my 14, 12 and 10 year old really need to be doing something in their hands or they're not paying a ton of attention. (laughs) A lot of the time it's helpful anyway. If I say go grab something to do and they can do finger knitting or crochet or drawing or playing with Legos or something, helps them kind of still their bodies and listen I'm wondering if there's anything like that that's different from your perspective in reading aloud to special needs kids or the same. A lot of people do use those. They call them fidgets. We never did. We just we just read. But I think the one thing that's different is the attention span. Okay. So the biggest thing there is simply to start where they are. If it's just two or three pages or if it's the board book level, then just start there and continue building that attention span just a little bit more. We we had a really good language therapist. She had she was classically trained herself. She was a nun. Oh wow. Because okay. the hospital we went to was a, a Catholic children's hospital. She taught me the technique of one more where you remain in control rather than having the child decide when he's done, when the child wants to be done, then you say, We'll do one more. Okay. And then you do whether it's one more book, one more page, one more paragraph, whatever it is, mm-hmm. but that allows the parent to dictate rather than getting into either a negotiation or just an acquiescence to the child's demand, then you remain in control. So we kind of use that one more. I could use that approach. with one of my children at the moment, actually. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be very helpful. Another thing is that our. Children with special needs often need to be engaged more. So rather than assuming that they're right there with you, they may be miles away in their mind, need to ask questions. So that sort of Socratic approach, but while reading aloud. And we can do that just simply with things like, what do you think will happen next? You know, as you're poised to turn the page and go ahead and let them answer. They have to base their guess on something that they've heard. And then you can turn the page, let's let's see, let's read and find out. So keeping them engaged through questioning in the stories, that's another thing that needs to be done. And I will say that in the curriculum, in the Simply Classical curriculum, we tried to put all of these various techniques right in there. In fact, we have some people who are using regular Memorial Press products, the regular core curriculum. Mm -hmm. They're buying the Simply Classical curriculum, Guides those lesson plans because they love to have those little tips too. So I think in a way, they're things that would help any child. It's just that our children really need them. Oh, I'm really glad you mentioned that because one of the things I heard over and over and over from homeschooling parents of all stripes all year long online, we, we saw them in some of our blog comments and we would talk about just different methods of classical homeschooling or whatever, is that Simply Classical has strategies that are useful for all children, and if your children aren't, you know, technically special needs, have special needs, but they're struggling learners, Simply Classical is a really useful book to help the parent figure out strategies and ideas. I know you talk about how to take resources that are out there, curriculum, and adapt them to meet your kids' needs and meet them where they are, which I think is so helpful for parents, regardless of the developmental level of their child, just meeting them where they're at and helping them get to the next step. Right. Exactly. Okay, so for parents out there who want to share a more classical Christian education with their kids, either their kids are in school maybe and they want to do this at home or they're homeschooling and they want to maybe just shift direction a little bit, make their homeschools a little more literary rich, a little bit more infused with that truth, beauty, goodness that we all want so much in in the education we give our kids, but they feel kind of overwhelmed with where to start. Maybe their kids have special needs. Maybe their children are struggling in some other way. How would you encourage mom to start? What advice would you give her? We really tailor our advice and suggestions to the family. So I would just reiterate that there's this free forum, the simplyclassical.com forum that a parent can go to and ask a question because it really is so different for the different scenarios in families, whether they have one child or six children or yeah. Three with special needs, or a child might be blind, or a child might have auditory processing difficulties. It's all, it's all very individualized. But the one thing that everyone can do is to start with picking up a good book, turning off the television. Yep. Again, limiting those screens. The, one of my favorite authors on this topic is Dr. Jane M. Healy, H E L Y. Oh, yes. Uh-huh. She, she has written a book called Endangered Mind, Why Our Children Can't Think and What We Can Do About It, I think is the subtitle. And another one called Failure to Connect, meaning children are so connected that they're connected electronically, that they're no longer connected in a human, relational, face to face way. And books can help to overcome that. And books actually can be a kind of cognitive training. Do we have time to share this little study? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. There was a study that I just found, it just came out this year. It was in collaboration with Stanford Center for Cognitive and Biological Imaging. They found that close, sustained, and attentive reading activates parts of the brain responsible for movement and touch. They found that close reading, and this can be whether... You're being read aloud to or you're reading yourself. But close reading can serve, quite literally, they say, as a kind of cognitive training teaching us to modulate our concentration. That is a powerful tool for our children. I found with my own children that I wanted them to have more than what other children would have. I wanted them to have every possible advantage with optimizing brain health through good nutrition and all of those things to help their attention and concentration. Mm -hmm. Well, reading aloud accomplishes that in such a humanizing way. There's so many other techniques and programs that you can get, but books are such an all-in-one that you you get a whole lot with a single good book. It just reminds me so much of, I don't have it in front of me, but Jim Trelease in the Read Aloud Handbook, he has a snippet in there, a little quote in there about how if somebody came out with a pill <laughs> that delivered all of the same benefits that reading aloud delivers to a child, there would be a line, you know, for miles and miles. People would, parents would just, you know, fall over themselves, pay enormous amounts of money to be able to give their child the benefits that would be in this pill. And yet they're all freely available to us by reading aloud. So I wish I had that quote yes. in front of me, but I don't. Yeah. Yes. No. And I have that original dental release handbook too, because. That was kind of my guidebook early on. And you are now the new Jim Treeleys for a whole generation of moms. And I really commend the work that you're doing with helping people to turn toward good books. Oh, thank you so much. Well, this has been absolutely delightful. I know that so many of our listeners have been hoping we would do a podcast episode on reading aloud with special needs and meeting the needs of special needs kids at home.
0: So I would encourage all of you listeners to check out simplyclassical.com. Check out that forum and connect with other people who are in the same situation you are, who have similar circumstances.
1: If you don't have special needs kids, but you have struggling students, check it out. There's so much good there to be had. Cheryl, where else can they connect with you online? Is there anywhere else I should send them? That is the main place. The other place that I do want to mention Though, and this is not for connecting so much, but for actually seeing the resources that are available, and that is classicalspecialneeds.com. Classicalspecialneeds.com. That is where we have all of our curriculum. There are many levels already available, but two more are coming in 2016. Wonderful. And that's is that the curriculum put out by Classic or Memorial Press? Memorial Press. That is correct. Perfect. Wonderful. Well, thank you so very much, and I hope you have a wonderful new year. Thank you. You too.
0: Now it's time for Let the Kids Speak. This is my favorite part of the podcast, where kids tell us about their favorite stories that have been read aloud to them. Hi, my name is Nathan. I like pout pout fish. He goes to school and gets lost. Hi, my name is Grace. I am eight years old and I live in Leo, Indiana. My favorite read aloud is the story of Dr. Doodle by Hugh Lofting. I would highly recommend this book because there are lots of different animals and
1: excitement. My favorite part is in the beginning, the book tells you that Dr. Doodle's sister was so annoyed with all the animals that the doctor had. She moved out. Dr. Zulu learned to speak to animals with the help of his pet parrot, Polynege. He is smart,
0: kind, and manages to find his way through many adventures. Hello, my name's Allie Pandolfo, and I live in Omaha, Nebraska, and my favorite book is Laura because she wrote, and the reason why I like that story so much is because she writes a story about her life and it's a nice story. What's the name of the book? Little House on the Prairie. And my other favorite is Charlotte's Web, because it's another book about a farm. My favorite books are Charlotte's Web and Trump's Love the Swan. The reason why I like Trump's sh- Love the Swan, birds. I like birds. And, and, and what's your name? Joshua Pandolfo. And where do you live? Omaha, Nebraska. Hi, my name is Josiah. I am nine years old, and I am from Washington. One of my favorite books is a book called Encyclopedia Brown. It's about this boy who tries to solve uh, mysteries, and you can also follow along and solve the mystery, too. Hi, my name is Sanjay. I'm four years old, and my favorite book... And I'm from Washington,
1: and my favorite book is *The Bad Case of Stripes* by
0: David Shannon. Right?
1: By David Shannon. And why do you like that book? Because he was trying to find the perfect costume. Oh, and did she get stripes all over?
0: Her? She put it on, and then she had saw stripes all over her. We don't have to read it, but what did, did
1: you like the story? Yeah. Why do you like the story? Because old lady got back up those beans and dropped them in her mouth. Yes. And, and then she
0: turned into a human. All
1: right. Good job.
0: Kids, I love your book recommendations and your insights into why you love those books so much. If your kids want to record a message to be aired on the show, head to readaloudrevival.com and scroll to the bottom of the page. It's super easy to leave a message, and we are very happy to edit and clean up those messages. So if you have a child who needs prompting or coaching as they leave messages, great. We can't wait to hear from them. That's readaloudrevival.com. Scroll on down to the bottom. Don't forget that show notes for today's show are at readaloudrevival.com. Just click on episode 39 to get to those. Until next time, go build your family culture around books.